Please turn in your Bible to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can use one in the pews or also read along as it's printed in the worship folder. I know I've said it every week. I plan to finish, but I, I just can't. I've got, I've got one more sermon next week, Lord willing, from uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. But it does line up. Chapter 5, five sermons. All right, so... Uh, uh, I guess I've spent more term- preaching in 1 Thessalonians 5 than I guess the entire uh, previous part of the book. If you've not been with us, this is a church that was started around 50 AD by the Apostle Paul and Timothy and Silas. They went there and uh, it was customary to plant a church. They would, they would go and begin, Paul would teach in the synagogue uh, on, the, uh, on Saturday, on, on the Jewish Sabbath and and uh, he would be welcomed to teach and uh, showing from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. A number of people came to believe, both Jews and Gentiles. So there's great response, and wherever there's a great response, there's great reaction. And the reaction against them forced them to have to leave the synagogue. They met at the home of a man named Jason, and then the opposition grew so intense that they had to flee under cover of darkness. Uh, Paul and Timothy, they went, they went on, they, they went on to Athens, they went on to the city of Corinth, and Timothy is sent back to check on how things are going now, months later at this, at this, uh, with this young church in Thessalonica, and he brings back a report, and in response to that report, Paul writes this letter uh, back to them. When he writes it, he's in the city of Corinth. Uh, probably they had now been Christians, uh, not even a year, uh, or about that amount of time, and he's written to them these, what we've divided into five chapters, and we come again to the fifth chapter with some closing admonitions. It's typical of the Apostle Paul when he would write a letter. On the front end, he dealt with more substantive theological issues, and then when he would come toward the end of the letter, it was also customary that he would give a lot of real, just brief practical applications, you might say, from what he had said previously. And that's what we have here. Uh, today, uh, though we printed through the end of the chapter, I'll just read verses 12 through uh, 22. Hear God's word. We, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So ends the reading of God's holy word. Uh, I would be amiss before we start the sermon. Uh, One of our older members, Lucy Thigpen, uh, passed away within the past few days. There'll be a private burial tomorrow at 115 and then there'll be a service at the at the cupola uh, on, on peak road at uh, two o'clock uh, tomorrow 
Last week we saw these admonitions that come together in verses 16 and so forth. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. And I mentioned to you that these are like cogs in a gear, that it's difficult to rejoice always uh, if we're not praying without ceasing, if we're not giving thanks in all things. So each feed the other. As we give thanks in all things, we rejoice always, we pray without ceasing. And we looked at that and looked at those three commands together. Now, the only way we can do this is by being in Christ, to realize that God rules over all things. He says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I mentioned to be in Christ. If you're not a Christian here today, or you're, you're considering it, or you're thinking about it, or you call yourself a seeker, then uh, th this phrase is very important. We're all invited and we're commanded to believe in Christ. Um, the, the preposition there is important. It literally, it means to believe into Christ. And I, I, I used a, uh, a picture like if we're standing outside this building and if I was standing inside and said, you come into the building, come into the building and you walk up the steps and you, you come into the building. Once you are in, you've come into the building, you are in the building. We're told to believe into Christ. Once we believe once we do that, then we are in Christ. He is in us, we are in him, and this is called the mystical union. So we can only begin to do these things by being in Christ. That's what it means to believe, to be in him. So we come now to uh, a puzzling passage here about prophecies and, and not despising prophetic utterances. But he's going to talk about the Holy Spirit. All of this is connected. That He's gone from a, a block talking about church leaders to us personally re rejoicing and giving thanks and so forth. And now he's going to talk about the Holy Spirit. First, we are not to quench the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, he is the third person of the Godhead. God exists as one God, three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a he. He is a person, and personality includes intelligence and will and individuality. Christ promised that he would come. He, he said, when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So Jesus declared that the Holy Spirit is a person. We are baptized into his name as well, baptized in the name of the Father and the Spirit and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit relates to us as a person. He does things to us. He does things for us. He teaches us. He comforts us. He guides us. He encourages us. He searches. He selects. He reveals. He admonishes. And as a person, the Holy Spirit can be adored and worshiped and grieved and offended and sinned against and quenched. Paul declared in 1 Corinthians, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Paul tells us there is a kind of discernment which is not natural to us. We are not naturally able to discern the things of God. And in our fallen state, we lack the ability to understand those things. And the only way we can be made to know the things of God is for the Holy Spirit to give us 
regeneration to give us new life and then to give us enlightenment to understand. Any of us here who are, became Christians later in life could say how I heard these things for years, never understood them. And then it just, it, then one day I did understand and it made sense. That is what's being described in 1 Corinthians. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to give us that discernment. So what does it mean then to quench the Holy Spirit? Literally, the word means to, carries the idea of putting out a fire. There's a campfire, and if you've been camping or you have a fire pit in your backyard, you say, okay, there's a lot of dry leaves around here. We want to make sure this thing is out tonight. Bring a couple of buckets of water. And you pour it on the fire, and you, you check, and you spread it out, and you pour some more. You want to make sure that it is out. That's the that's the literal idea behind the word to quench the Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is sometimes compared to a fire in the New Testament. So Paul writes to them as a group, not just as individuals, but as a church, as a congregation in this city of Thessalonica, and he warns them not to quench the Spirit. Do not pour water on the fire of the Holy Spirit. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Well, how can we do that? Well, look at the next verse, because they go together. Verse 20. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good. Particularly, what he's directing them here is not to quench the spirit in the realm of prophecy. Yes, you are in a first, you're in Presbyterian church. This is First Presbyterian Church. So now let me tell you what he's talking about here. And I, this is a day when we need to not only know what we believe, we need to know why we believe it. And I was been wondering for a while, when these Christians went to the assembly, what the Bible says, when they gathered to worship God, what did they have? They didn't have one of these. What did they have? I mean, this, this came along later as far as being compiled. Well, we know that the Old Testament was complete. It's translated into the Greek a couple of hundred years before this, called the Septuagint. So they would have been familiar with the scriptures. The Jews were. But you have to see when they gathered, the, as the church spread. Are y'all still with me? All right, I know. Or, uh, I love that. I'm a teacher at heart. Every once in a while, an evangelist breaks out, but I, I'm, I'm really a teacher at heart. When the, when the gospel went forth and people were converted, there were primarily three groups of people. There were Aramaic Jews, meaning they spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. They had been brought up in temple worship. They thought in terms of worship is the temple. We go to the temple. They knew all the Je Jewish customs, the feast and the sacrifices. Then there, the second group, were the Greek-speaking Jews. Eh, they were kind of nominal as far as temple worship and things like that. They'd been greatly influenced by the Greek culture. We call them the Hellenistic Jews. The third group were the Gentiles. Think they cared about temple worship? Not at all. So as they were converted, these three groups in the early church, some continued to go to the temple. We know from Acts chapter 2, after Peter preached, said they were offering prayers at the temple, the daily prayers they would go, they would gather in the courts of the temple. And in homes, 
the, the Gentiles who became Christians, they certainly weren't going up to the temple. So now that here's this church, here's this body of believers, and they would gather on the first day of the week. Because of the resurrection of Christ, the Jewish Sabbath was changed to the Christian Lord's Day, the first day of the week. And they would come together. And those who had been brought up in the temple knew by heart a lot of the Old Testament scriptures. They could chant the Psalms. They could, they could quote a lot of it. They may have written down some of it, but they certainly didn't have the entire Old Testament in their home. They didn't have those scrolls. That, those were kept in the temple, in the synagogue. They were at the synagogues where they would go. So what did they have? Acts tells us they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Jesus had pretty much said that the apostles would represent him with their authority. And he told them, he, he, as he prayed the night before he was arrested, Jesus prayed, I have given them the words that you gave me. As you sent me into this world, so I've sent them into the world. Jesus had commissioned them so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach with authority. So here were the disciples, the original 12, less Judas, plus Paul. So the, the, the disciples became the apostles. Literally, it means one who is sent, but that was the office of apostle. They had the authority to communicate what Christ had told them, and they were viewed as those who had authority. So there was Matthew and, and others communicating what would become the gospel of Matthew. Now, when was it written? About the time the church of Thessalonica was founded. The early date for the gospels is around 50 to 60 AD. Latter date, especially by critics like Bart Ehrman and others that, that say it's not true, is in the 80, 85 AD. So when they would gather, they would have the apostles teaching but if Paul wasn't there so they may have written down like this letter uh, and they would have had those that were Aramaic Jewish that had become Christians they could quote a lot of the Old Testament scriptures but then they had prophecy now here's how it would work in the, whole, in the early church the Holy Spirit endowed people with various gifts some had the gift to perform the miracle of healing. There was speaking in tongues, speaking in other languages, communicating the gospel in languages they had not learned, and prophesying. So since they didn't possess yet the New Testament as we have it, they had parts of it, uh, then they would gather and there were those with the gift of prophecy. Now here's how it worked. We know in 1 Corinthians, um, Paul talks about those prophesying. It means a person who speaks forth. It didn't mean foretelling the future. It was not like an Old Testament prophet that said, thus saith the Lord. So here in the worship service, as they gathered, someone might say, I believe the Lord is leading us to, or I believe the Lord is saying to us that we should gather for prayer every day this week. That was viewed as prophecy. Now, it wasn't saying five years from now this is going to happen. It wasn't prophetic in that sense. <clears throat> but it was impressions that a person might have and say, I believe God is telling us to do this. I believe that we should collect money and send it to the brethren in Jerusalem who are experiencing starvation from a famine. I believe that we should uh, 
take the gospel to the villages uh, north of where we are. You realize archaeology has shown us that in the northern part, the basin, not the basin, but the arc around the Sea of Galilee, we find remains of some 400 villages. 400, so when it says Jesus sent them out to preach in the towns and villages, these things were scattered all over the place. Now, that was prophecy. It wasn't like an Old Testament prophet, thus saith the Lord, which was unquestioned. And it was always true. If it wasn't true, then they were shown to be a false prophet. So it was a temporary gift that God gave to the church where people would speak uh, like God, I believe God is leading us to do that. Now, Paul gave instruction in 1 Corinthians that when that happened, you should limit it to maybe three people and not speak at the same time. And the others should evaluate what's being said. So apparently, though, as some of this was happening, people would tune out and check their email. <laughs> or they would, let's look what the weather's going to be this afternoon. Oh, no, it's not him again. Every week, the guy just wants attention. He just wants supply. Whatever they were thinking, they were ignoring it, and that's what the word despise means. To despise doesn't mean you hate or you hold a grudge against. That's the way we use it today, like, oh, she despises that person. That's not how it's used in the Bible. It means to ignore, to pay no attention to. And so during the service, during the gathering, when someone said, I believe God is telling us to do so-and-so, uh, they may just say, well, uh, what, did, what did he just say? Oh, I don't know. I don't care. Uh, and Paul says, don't do that. You're despising prophetic utterances. So rather than despise them, rather than pay no attention to them, he says that you should test them. You should test what is said. And the criteria would be, how does this line up with what we heard from Paul, what we've heard from, or so we've been told about the other apostles? And then once they determine, yes, there's nothing inconsistent here with what uh, Sally, not Sally, I'm sorry, the, the women didn't prophesy. The men prophesied, and... Uh, so Sam, uh, so Sam, what Sam said lines up with the scriptures here. And when they heard what was good, they were whole to it. Y'all remember these? Cash? I don't think I've used one in, uh, in about two years now. Do you know on a $20 bill, most of you know, what's one of the ways you can tell whether it's real? Speak to me. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, Okay. That, there's three ways, you know, and you, you just mentioned there's a hologram of Andrew Jackson over here. You can't see it. I know you can't see it from here. And where the 20 is, there's a 20 down here. They changed that ink some years ago, so when you do that, it, it kind of has different, like, it does strange things. Anyway, so you can look, you can hold it up, you know, you can see the strip, the ultraviolet thing, and then you can, you can look and see the hologram of Andrew Jackson's face and the other. Well, when someone would prophesy, they were to test it. Is this real? Is this right? Okay, this lines up. This, this is consistent. There's nothing here, you know, that... Uh, let's, let's assume this is a word from God. Let, let's assume that it is. Now, we're going to hold on to it. We're going to hold on to it. We're not going to throw it away. 
Now, this was a temporary time in the life of the church. The church was under construction. To show you how much it was under construction, about 15 or 20 years later, when Paul writes to Timothy, the pastoral epistle, when, when Timothy's pastoring in Ephesus, what does he say? Preach the word. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The scriptures are becoming complete. So we don't find instruction just even a, a decade or two later about this kind of prophesying. So I think unless we understand the history of what was going on in the life of the church, it's very difficult to understand or to apply these verses. Now, how do we apply this today as I, we prepare to come to the Lord's table? Well, we don't rely on spontaneous prophecy now in the congregation. We believe that's been revealed. We have it in the, the scriptures themselves. And they give the fuller revelation. And we have it in our own possession. And so church elders are to shepherd the flock with the word, with the word of God. Uh, we are, a preacher like me is to stand and to exposit, which means to expose the meaning of, the Word of God, the, the Scriptures. And you are still not to despise it, not to ignore it, but you're to test and to hold fast to what is good. And you say, well, I don't test the Scriptures now. No, but you test the lesson. You test the sermon. And you do that by, well, being an active listener. You can still quench the Spirit today. You can be doing that this very moment. When God begins to move in your heart, when the Spirit begins to move, and you just, <clears throat> I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to put it on other things. Okay, so what are some ways we can, can be an active listener? Well, come to this gathering or come to any gathering where the Bible's taught with expectancy. Expect that God is going to be there. God has something for me. God has something for me, and when I go there today, I'm expecting him to give it to me. So come with expectancy. Secondly, admit that God knows you better than you know yourself. Paul warned his student, Timothy, that many would not put up with sound doctrine, especially in the latter days, but they would desire preachers who would say things that would tickle their ears. We want to hear things that make us feel good about ourselves, don't we? We want sermons that reinforce our prejudices. I don't want to feel uncomfortable. I don't want to get ticked off by the preacher. And yet, if the word of God is being preached, it will happen. It should happen. Be sure the preacher says what the passage says. You don't need to make eye contact with me or whoever's preaching. I don't care. If I look down and I see you looking at the script, now looking here, and you, and you may be... You've got a study Bible, and you're comparing this passage. Well, Chip just said, verse 20 says this. Well, here's a parallel passage. My, oh, what do you know? He got his outline from the NIV study Bible. <laughs> uh, that's, what, that's how we, we test. We're looking at the scriptures. That's the time you say, well, I haven't done much Bible study this week. All right, I'm going to do it as I'm listening to, to him. I'm going to be looking at this. Well, there's another passage there. God's brought to mind this other one, and I'll, I'll look at this. Be an active listener, but be humble and not gullible at the same time. Be here week after week. There is a cumulative effect to the preaching and teaching of God's word. Put what you hear into action. 
James 1 don't be just hearers of the word but doers of the word keep a sermon journal uh, keep a, or any kind of journal and write down what you're learning and then go back over that try to, to uh, hold fast that which is good God has shown me today that I need to apply this in my life and this is what I plan to do this week you, you're not declaring to the world you're going to do it, but then you can pull it out a week later and say, oh, okay, I, ah, I did it two days. I want to do it five days this week and do that. Rejoice that you can hear his word preached. Psalm 95 says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, there's an urgency. Be glad for the good news of all he's given us in Christ. And also, you may feel convicted or have some ideas and, and you want to write those down or something you think that you need to do. All of that is part of being an active listener and not uh, despising the Word of God. So, do you realize, though, let me just, before we come to the Lord's Supper, Christians have come to church with one of these only for... 25% of the life of the Christian church. When Gutenberg invented the printing press in the, in the 1500s or so, late, late 1400s, only the wealthy could afford a book. They didn't start printing out paperbacks where everybody could have their copy. So when we stand with the other believers in heaven, they might say, you had a Bible? You had your own Bible in your house? You didn't have to go to a, a, a public building where they had one copy and they chained it to the pulpit so people wouldn't steal it? That's what they did, you know. They, they had it there and it was, it was protected so people would not take it away. Uh, so if nothing else from this passage, think about let's not despise the prophecies of God as revealed through the scriptures. But also, is the Holy Spirit working in your life? Some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, you are being led in certain ways. He has convicted you of sin. Corporately, are we believing him as a church? Because it's very possible when that begins to happen to take the bucket and say, Phew. let's just talk about mundane things. Let's just, let's just uh, keep things ordinary. We don't want anything... Uh, change of, of any sort and we'll just quench that and, and keep it just the same way may God deliver us from that do you know Christ are you in Christ today um, you're invited in just a moment then to come to this table let's pray together father we thank you for your word we indeed are privileged we pray you'd give us an increased zeal to know you as you've revealed yourself there in the scriptures uh, we of all people are without excuse. We have the fuller revelation, which our Thessalonican brothers and sisters really didn't have. They had parts of it, but they really believed what they had. So we pray that you'd help us not to be hearers only, but doers of your word. In Christ's name, amen.